0: Welcome to this week's presentation from Bethesda, a church community where anyone can belong. We hope that the following presentation encourages you in your faith journey. Thanks for listening. The last number of weeks, uh, actually, since we moved into the summer, we began looking at this sermon series called Storyline. And uh, we believe that, you know, there's so many, some of the greatest stories ever told uh, are found in the Bible. Some of the greatest stories in all of history are found in the Bible, are documented in this book. And whether that's stories of epic Old Testament underdogs who had these epic stories, or whether it was parables that were told by Jesus, who was the greatest storyteller of all time. Uh, stories just have this way of drawing us in and, and reminding us that no matter how tough life can get, and no matter what we may have to go through or face in this life, that uh, no, how, no matter how impossible the circumstances may appear, that God has the power to intervene and write a better story for us. He has a way to come in and just, if we allow him to take the penmanship in our lives sometimes, he can help rewrite some of our story. And so if you were uh, with us last Sunday, we spoke a, 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 this series. I had the opportunity to share last Sunday and I'm gonna continue in some of the, uh, the same text in a moment. But first of all, I just wanna say if you were to look at the uh, Old Testament and if you went to the Ten Commandments, uh, you would see right away in commandment number one, Like right from the top. Commandment number one, it says, God said this. He said, you shall have no other gods before me. So command number one is right there. And I don't think it's a coincidence that that was the first command because long before Moses ever received this law from God and long before that, right up to all throughout human history to this very day that we live in, God knew that one of the biggest issues we would have to deal with was the competition for our hearts. That there's a competition for our hearts and our devotion. Even when Jesus was asked, he, someone asked him, they said, you know, what? well, what is the most important commandment? He, he answered by saying that above all else, we are to love the Lord God with all your what? Heart, mind, soul, strength. And you see, God wants all of our hearts. He wants, and that's the center of our emotions, that's the center of our, be, center of our being, and he wants that from us. Husbands in the room. If you're a husband in the room, just slip your hand up. We got a few? Okay, I'm talking to a few, okay. The rest of you who aren't husbands in the room right now, you can just tune me out just for a couple minutes if you want to, but I just want to talk to the husbands in the room for a second. Uh, husbands in the room, imagine with me for a moment if you're, uh, celebrating, you're celebrating an anniversary, okay? Maybe it's a, it's a milestone one, maybe it's, it's, it's five years, maybe it's 15, maybe it's 50, I don't, I don't know. Just imagine you're celebrating uh, an anniversary, Whatever stage of life you're in. And and so you're celebrating, and you and your wife are out to dinner. You've chosen to find a place, and maybe you went out to dinner, took her out for a nice evening. Or maybe you cooked dinner. No, you never. You took her out to dinner. You played it safe. (laughs) And by dinner, I mean supper, because we have supper for dinner and dinner for lunch, right? Everyone got that? (laughs) We're still trying to, if you're not from Newfoundland, we're still figuring that thing out, okay? So you're out for dinner, you're out for a nice evening together, and you're joining, enjoying this nice moment. You're thinking about your marriage, your, your reminiscing, you're thinking about, you know, the time that you met, you're thinking about the, you know, some of the ups and downs that you've faced already in your relationship, perhaps, you're thinking of the good times, you're thinking of what you've, you've accomplished, you're thinking of the time when you first fell in love, you're thinking of the time... Husbands, when you told her for the first time that you loved her, you're thinking and having this wonderful time, and and you're thinking of the day you asked her to marry you. Everything is nice. Everything is romantic. The music in the restaurant's playing so nicely. You're enjoying a nice meal together, and then you look across the table at your wife, and you look her in the eyes, and she looks back at you, and you say, honey, I love you with with half my heart. I don't know, like, 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 I don't know about you, and, and I don't know your wife, but I, can, I can't imagine what might happen next, right? Uh, something might change in the moment. I mean, I don't know how your wife might re- react. I, I could probably guess how Angela might react, uh, but I mean, as you can imagine, it probably wouldn't go down well, or, or you looked across, you said, honey, there's a part of me that loves you. You wouldn't imagine saying that to the one that you love, the one that you married. There's, a, there's just a part of me that loves you. That's not going to cut it, is it? That's not going to cut it. That's not going to go over well and that's not what she's expecting nor what she deserves because she expects and she deserves to be loved with all your heart. With all that you are, you should love and nothing less. And you see, God in his relationship with us, he, he, has, he desires to have this authentic relationship with each and every person where we get to a place in our lives where, where, where we surrender our hearts and our lives to God and we say, God, we, I love you, God, with all that I am. With all that I am, I want to live for you. I want you to make, be the center of my heart because in the same way, we can't really go to God and say, God, I love you with some of my heart. You know, that doesn't really work, does it? But it's, it's, it's that surrender that he's desiring in a relationship with him. But you see, on the, on the other side of that, the enemy's desire is that he would turn our hearts away from God, that he would turn our, way, our hearts away from, from the one true God and turn toward false gods. And that's what's been happening to men and women throughout history, that we've been, you know, putting false gods in the place of the one true God. And th- this is a sin called idolatry, Idolatry, and, and although you may not worship, you might be sitting here, you may not worship an idol, a physical idol in, in itself, or you might you know, not worship a God like the Israelites had in the Old Testament when they turned to the God of, of Baal or Asherah. But you know, when we have something in our lives that we depend on more than God, when we have something in our lives that we prioritize over God, then that is idolatry. When we're putting something in the place of of God, we are turning, we are allowing our hearts to be turned away from the Heavenly Father, from our Heavenly Father. And it's important that we realize, it's important that you understand that false gods, you can bring that up, false gods promise only what the true God can provide. False gods promise what only the true God provides. For example, and there's so many examples we could use, but, but for example, money is a pretty, pretty popular form of idolatry or false god. Now, don't get me wrong, there is nothing wrong with money in and of itself. There's nothing wrong with money. There's nothing wrong with having money. The problem comes is if you're not careful, what, what does money do? Money can promise what only the true god can provide, If we allow money to be the center of our attention, the center of our lives, and all our focus and energy goes on having the things around us, then all of a sudden money, it becomes a false god, and and false gods promise what only the true God can provide. And so if we're not careful, you know, many people believe that if you have enough around you, that you'll be happy and you'll be secure, that I'll be fine. But the reality is that you can have a lot of money, but still feel completely empty. You can have a lot of things but feel completely empty. Or you could work really hard and you could fall in love with everything that you have only to one day lose it all and to be left with nothing. You see, if we don't have a proper understanding of money, it can become an idol. And that's just one example of many. Again, nothing wrong with money in and of itself. It's how it becomes uh, active in our lives if, if we're prioritizing over God. And it promises things that only God can provide. So we began to look last week at how this was affecting the nation of Israel, where, where people's hearts were actually being turned away from the one true God toward false gods and, and idols, and in their case, specific gods and idols. And I just want to reflect, refresh our memories for a moment. If you were here last Sunday and you heard this message, I just want to just refresh our memories. If you, you weren't here last week, he'll give you a little bit of context. You see, many of you probably can't remember what you had for lunch yesterday, so me talking about what I preached a week ago was probably a good idea, just to, it's probably going to be valuable just to help everyone out a little bit, right? You see, in the time of Elijah, many people were worshiping and serving false gods. In fact, Elijah was called by God to confront a very evil king, a very evil king whose name was, anyone? Ahab. Ahab. You were listening last week, that's good. Or you read your Bibles, which is even better, (laughs) King Ahab. And King Ahab was married to a woman for two extra points named Jezebel. He was married to an evil woman named Jezebel. Ahab was the 19th consecutive king that the Bible describes as being evil. These weren't 19 ineffective leaders, these were 19 consecutive evil kings and leaders. Okay, and then scripture actually says, and this spanned over the period of 200 years, but then it came to Ahab. He was in leadership, and it says in scripture that Ahab, the son of Omri, actually did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. So if it wasn't bad enough for the last almost 200 years, this guy who we have now as king is even worse than the 18 before. And so things were not looking good for the nation of Israel. And so he was known as the worst of the worst. And out of his long list of sins and wickedness, one of the things that he did is that he, as a king and leader, was continuing to turn the hearts of the people away from the one true God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, toward other gods and false gods, God of Baal and Asherah, and worship these gods. Baal was known as the sun god or god of fire. Asherah was kind of like Baal's wife. and, And people were turning toward and worshiping these false gods In fact, the the false gods would promise the people that if you worship them, that we would make your crops grow. We would provide for you in that way. We're the God of rain, God of sun, and we can we can make sure everything works out for you. But remember what we said a moment ago, false gods promise what only the true God provides. Because as we seen last Sunday, God does something. He began something. God does something that God often chooses to do. He didn't raise up an army to overtake the king, but he raises up one man. God often chooses to raise up one man or one woman or one young person to, to be used, who's, who's willing to be used to make a difference. So God raises up this man named Elijah who confronts the king and basically says to the king, he says, king, because of your idolatry, because you've been turning the hearts of the people away from the one true God to these false gods, God has sent me to tell you that there will be no more rain or dew, nothing, no moisture on the land, until God says so, until God t- says so. And so this causes a major drought A major drought in the land. People are dying. The economy is wrecked. And God sends Elijah then, after he says this to the king, God sends Elijah into a place of hiding, a period of hiding and preparation. We looked at that last Sunday. Because for one, the king wanted to kill Elijah. And so he was going to chase him down, and so he had to hide away. But also God was going to do a preparation work in the life of Elijah. And so we looked at God, how he led Elijah to a place called the Kareth Ravine. And that word Kareth literally means a place of cutting down. A place where God humbled Elijah and and made him and shaped him into the man that he wanted him to be. And we talked about how God did a work in him privately so that he could use him publicly. God provided meat And bread for Elijah, which was fed daily to him by ravens. And that's a pretty good deal because you don't even have to leave a tip with the room service. But a raven would provide for his hunger and he led him by a brook and he drank from the brook until one day this brook dried up and then God led Elijah to a place called Zarephath where he went and met a woman. And God then used this woman to provide for Elijah by using just a little bit of flour and a little bit of oil that miraculously never ran out. And then all of a sudden one day things are, are good, God is providing, but one day this widow's son dies. Tragedy hits. Tragedy hits. And she says, maybe it's because I've turned my heart away from God in the past, and this is his judgment on me. And Elijah takes the boy's body up to the upper room of the home, and he does something that he hadn't, probably, he hadn't read about, he hadn't seen before, because this is the first account in scripture where somebody who was dead had been raised from the dead. And Elijah goes up, and he prays over this boy, and God brings this boy back to life. And so we see Elijah the prophet as he's being developed into this man that God wanted him to become. And so that was where we went last Sunday. And so now, we're about to pick up again with the story. We are now three years, over three years into this drought. This drought has lasted over three years. And First Kings chapter 18, we looked from, from chapter 17 last week. This week, we're in chapter 18. We're gonna read. And if you have your Bibles, you can turn there, and we'll have it on the screens as well. And this is where Elijah and King Ahab meet again. So the last time they met was when Elijah said, this is what's going to happen, no more rain or dew. He went into hiding, he's been away. King Ahab's been trying to find him, hasn't been able to find him. And then one of his, a man named Obadiah finds Elijah and and, and he works out a meeting between the two, okay? So this is what happens. When Ahab saw Elijah, he said to him, Ahab said, is that you, you troubler of Israel? He's blaming the whole thing on Elijah still. You're the one that caused this trouble. Elijah snaps back pretty quickly. He said, I'm not causing any trouble for Israel, Elijah replied. But you and your father's family have caused trouble for Israel. You have abandoned the Lord's. He's saying, why? Because you've abandoned the Lord's commands and you have followed the Baals. You've turned your heart away from the one true God and you've been following these false gods. You're committing idolatry. You're putting false gods ahead of the one true God. And Elijah was confronting the very popular idea of the day that believed that there were many gods. There was a certain culture that, that believed that, and just very quickly, if, if you were to look into it, is these two words, is monotheism and polytheism, and I feel like I'm back in Bible college, but but these are two words that we could look at just for very quickly, and if you're taking notes, monotheism is simply the belief that there is mono, there is one God, and the belief that God is God, and that's, that's final, but there's a, a belief that's polytheistic, and so as Christians, we're monotheistic, Theism, monotheistic, but there's polytheism, where it believes that there's multiple or many gods. And, and so that was kind of what was happening in the day, and Elijah was confronting a very polytheistic culture where they would worship multiple, multiple gods. Now, those of us who are Christians, we would say, well, of course, we're monotheistic. We're, we believe this, and, and we believe that there's only one true God. But even though that we believe that there's only one true God, there are many Christians who live very polytheistic lives, if you will. That we can allow other things to come in. Even be, We may believe in one God, but in many ways we can worship and serve many gods, if we're not careful. And it's not that anyone that I know of, I haven't seen a Facebook status who people have said that they're, they're worshiping Baal and Asher and listing other gods, but many people could worship things that we own, you know, material possessions. You worship the things around you, for some, People, they, it's all about their image, your looks. It could be about your career. There are a number of things because what we talked about a moment ago, false god, a false god is any idol that we depend on more than or prioritize above the one true God and take the place of God in our lives. And so that's why it's important for us to consider the question, what are the false gods that I might give my attention to? Are there any false gods in my life that I may be giving attention to? Although we may be very monotheistic in our beliefs, we can be be very polytheistic in our practice if we're not careful. And so Elijah the prophet steps into this highly uh, polytheistic culture and he makes a very prophetic and direct message to the people that we're going to see in just a moment. But let's just go to verse 19 here and he continues to talk with uh, King Ahab. He says to King Ahab, he says, now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel. Okay? He he says this is the meeting place and and why did he pick this meeting place? Well, because this was actually the center of pagan worship. This was, you see, God is not intimidated by evil at all. Uh, God doesn't mind even giving the enemy home court advantage, so to speak. He's not intimidated by that and I love how Elijah sets this up. This is what he says. He says, go ahead now summon all the people to Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal with you Bring 450 of those prophets and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. Now, Elijah, when you read this, you're, you're thinking, you gotta got be thinking, you know, he's either very confident in God at this point or he's completely lost his mind, one or the other. Because why would you invite 850 prophets of the opposition to come and meet you as a one prophet, one man, unless you're either very confident in God or you just lost it all And so that's what he does. He, he invites them to come, and no matter how you look at this, it's 850 to one. I'm, I'm not great at math, but I can do that much, okay? We're good. 850 to one, and no matter how you look at it from any perspective, 850 to one aren't good odds, are they? 851 is, it aren't good odds at all. But do you know that God is not threatened at all when the odds are stacked against him? He's not threatened by that. As a matter of fact, God would often make it so that the odds would be stacked against so that he could show that he is able, no matter what. You can, story after story after story, This same fact. God often sets it up that way. So that there's no question that he's the one that showed up and he's the one that brought the miracle because he's the one that deserves the glory. Maybe you feel the odds are stacked against you today. Maybe in some way in your life you think the odds are definitely stacked against me. I want to remind you that God is not intimidated one bit by opposition no matter what the odds say. No matter what the math appears to be. God is not intimidated by that. And he's able. So Ahab sent word throughout all of Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Next slide. Elijah went before the people and he said, remember I said he he confronted them directly, this is what he said to the people. He said, how long, how long will you waver between two opinions? I love that question. How long will you waver between two opinions if the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. He, he, he does this. He's addressing the people. He's identifying the elephant on the mountain in the room. <laughs> he's, he's calling it out. He's saying straight out, you've been wavering. You've been wavering. You've been sitting on the fence, many of you, and some of you have been just flip-flopping back and forth, back and forth. And he said, how long will you waver between two opinions? You have allowed your heart to be turned away from the one true God, and you follow these false gods. How long will you waver? And he asked them directly, and the people sat there, and they said nothing. The Bible says they said nothing. But I'm sure they heard him. How long will you waver between two opinions? If God is God... Worship him. If Baal is God, follow him. Elijah is confronting their indecision. Which, by the way, indecision like that is very insulting to God. Elijah had just come out of over three years where God was shaping him and preparing him in the private. And I believe he did that so Elijah would be ready for when God wanted to use him in the public. And now Elijah is seeing the people and how they're wavering, how they're unsure, how they're insulting the God who alone had brought them to the place where they were. The promised land was only possible because of what God had done for their ancestors, for the people before them. But yet their hearts, yet again, were being turned away from God and Elijah has a message to the people. How long will you waver between two opinions? How long will you wonder if God is enough? Is God God or is he not? So this happens next, verse 22. Then Elijah said to them, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left, but Baal has 450 prophets. Get two bulls, next one. He says, go get two bulls for us. Let Baal's prophets choose for themselves which one they want and let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood of the altar, but not set fire to it. Then I'll prepare the other bull and put it on the wood, but I will not set fire to it. Then you call on the name of the Lord your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord. The God who answers by fire, he is God. So that's the challenge that Elijah puts out, and then all the people said, so they were in agreement. They said, what you say is good. We're there. We're with you. Actually, this is funny, Elijah, that you would ask this to be the challenge because we serve Baal and he's the God of fire and you're asking for a display of fire so we're good with this. We're good with this competition that you're calling out. And if you continue to read the story and I would encourage you to read it for yourself from start to finish like through the whole chapter. If you continue, you'll see that they took the bull that, that they, they, they chose, they prepared it. Then they called on the name of their God, Baal. And the people began dancing and calling out the name of the god, their God from morning to morning Till noon. And so, say they started at 9 a.m. So, for three hours at least, they were calling out to Baal, send fire, burn up the sacrifice, and they began dancing and doing their rituals. And, And by this time, no one had answered. And it's noontime now, and they danced around, and Elijah starts to prod them a little bit at this point. So, he was probably quiet for the first few hours and let them do it. And then it goes ahead and says this it says, at noon, Elijah began to taunt them. He says, shout louder. He said, surely he's a God. Perhaps he's deep in thought. Or perhaps he's busy. Which, by the way, in translation means maybe he's using the bathroom. <laughs> maybe he's traveling. Maybe he's sleeping and he needs to be awakened. Maybe you need to shout a little louder. And so he, he kind of begins to prod them a little bit. So if you read on for the next few verses, what did they do? They they shouted louder, they did more. They danced la- They danced louder, they danced harder. They began to cut themselves and do rituals that, that they would often do because that's what they did, but scripture says that they shouted all day long, all day long, and nothing. And so after there's been no response, many, many hours this was going on. Elijah steps up, and this is what happens. I want you to picture this story, this scene t- today. He prepares the altar as he would. And if you read chapters, uh, I think, verses 30 to 35, you'll see that not only did he prepare the altar, but Elijah then instructed people to pour water over the sacrifice, pour water over the wood, and he did that three times. 12 jugs of water were poured over the sacrifice, so much so that there was a, a trench that was filled with water all around. He didn't want any doubt that nobody threw a spark on the thing, Nobody was able, because you can't light wood when it's wet, right? So that's what he did. In verse 36, at the time of the sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed. And this is what his prayer was. He says, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Next verse. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, so these people will know that you, Lord, are God, and that, can we read this last part together, and that you are turning their hearts back again. I love that part. That you are turning their hearts back again. Do you see the simplicity, but yet the power that's in that prayer? He says, let it be known. Let it be known, God. Reveal yourself. Show us who you are. Why? So people's hearts will be turned back to you again. That they would be back, turned back to you again. Because Elijah's probably thinking, because God, they once knew you. They once knew you, God. They used to walk with you. They used to serve you. They used to worship you but because of these evil leaders and because of all of that's went on, these false gods have taken your place in their hearts and I'm asking God that you would turn their hearts back again. And as I read that, again this week, as I read it, I, I felt such a compassion rise up in my heart for so many people that I know and so many people that you probably know that you can even think of right now. Maybe for a number of you, you could be here today in this room. Or maybe you know of someone that used to walk with him, that used to walk with God, but at some point walked away from God and put some sort of false God's in their lives, Something on the throne of their life other than God. And today, perhaps, maybe you're here. Today, God is calling you. He's calling you back to him. He's calling you back to him. Today, God is wanting to reveal himself to you so that you can make a decision to turn your heart back to God again. Maybe that's a story for a son or a daughter that, you, that came to your mind. Maybe it's a story of a loved one, a friend, a neighbor, Maybe it's someone who maybe it's that you can take off the again because they've yet to have an experience, but you're saying, God, would you turn the hearts of that person to you? Whoever that is. <clears throat> and so whoever is God, he says, reveal yourself by fire. Elijah prays. <clears throat> and this is what happens because of that prayer. <clears throat> Goes on to say, then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice. It actually burned up the wood and the stones and the soil and also licked up the water in the trench. I mean, it was a display of power, obviously. (laughs) It took it all up. When the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. As the worship team prepares to come back, That's certainly my prayer for our church today and for our community, that we would see him for who he is, that we would see God for who he is, and that all the false gods, the things that we put in our lives that take priority over him at times, or the things that we allow to turn our hearts away from God, all of those things would just fall away, and that hearts would be turned back to God, amen? Elijah's journey, I love his story. The storyline of, of Elijah's life is great. But Elijah's story began when we were introduced to him as Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe and Gilead. That was what he was known as. And then God wanted to, Have Elijah exercise? He wanted to exercise audacious faith, and he wanted to tell the king to stand up to the evil king and say it wouldn't rain on the land. And can you imagine the what it took for Elijah to obey God in that moment? God, this guy's evil. If I say this, he could kill me on the spot. But yet Elijah, in the face of all of that, said, "I'm going to be obedient to God. I'm going to do what He's called me to do." And he did. And that's where it began. Then from there, of course, he led Elijah into isolation. And a total dependence on God where only God alone was Elijah's provider. Then Elijah required uh, more obedience to go to the house of the widow where God miraculously provided an unending supply of flour and oil. And then his faith in God was brought uh, even, even farther and deeper when, when we've seen the story of bringing a dead boy back to life. He had faith to believe all of that. And now, because Elijah was ready to stand alone against all the worshipers of the false gods, we see this incredible display of God's power that turned people's hearts back to him. And for Elijah, none of that would have happened. None of that would have happened where God would have used him and and, and he would have stepped into that if he hadn't been obedient enough in the beginning to obey God, to say yes to God if he hadn't been obedient to God to say that first words to the king, do you think that would have been the story of his life? No. Could God have shown all the people that he was the one true God? Of course he could have done that all on his own. But that's not how God usually chooses to do things. He often chooses to display his glory through the obedience of men and women who will take a step of faith and to be obedient to God. And so in saying that, my question for you this morning is, what step of obedience is God asking you to make today? What step of obedience is God asking you to make today? Perhaps it's a decision, for some of you, might be here, it's a decision to turn your heart back to him. For some of you, maybe it's to step out in a situation or to speak to someone that God's laid on your heart. Maybe it's to turn away from certain things and focus more attention back on your relationship with God, whatever it is that God's calling you to do. Maybe he's wanting to use you to help turn your heart and the hearts of others back to him. You see, Elijah had no idea what hung in the balance of his decision to obey God that day, from day one. He didn't know what hung in the balance. God didn't say, Elijah, if you stand in front of the king today, I promise you, I'm going to provide for your every need. You're going to see miracles. I'm going to use you to, to, to raise a boy from the dead. Elijah, it's going to be great. You're going to stand in front of 850 false God worshipers and you're going to see a display of my power. It's all going to be okay. All you have to do is obey me and go speak to the king. But God didn't say that to Elijah. God just asked him to do something. Elijah had no idea what hung in the balance of his decision to obey God and you have no idea and I have no idea what hangs in the balance of my decision to obey God today and what he's calling me to do, to take that step of faith to what the Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart. I believe if we're obedient, God will lead us and use us for his glory. Amen? I'm gonna invite you to stand with us and, uh, I'm just going to take a moment uh, before we conclude our service this morning. I don't want to rush right now, but I'm just going to take a moment. And maybe you're here this morning, and honestly, my, prayers, <clears throat> my prayer this week is, God, perhaps there's going to be someone here at Bethesda this Sunday, and you're going to be calling them. Your Holy Spirit's going to be working on their heart to say it's time for them to turn their heart back to you. And maybe that's your time today. Maybe this is the moment where you need to make a decision. You know that maybe your heart's drifted, that you know you're not where you should be in your relationship with Christ, and today you've heard God's word. It's not my opinion, it's the word of God. And he's calling you by his Holy Spirit today to make a turn and to turn your heart back to him. Can we just pray for a moment? Let's all bow our heads for a moment of prayer. God, by your Holy Spirit, I pray that you would, God, you would do a work that only you can do that you would speak to hearts and lives that you would take your word and that you would illuminate it in our hearts that we would know that you are God today and, and perhaps there's someone here this morning that you're tugging at their heart right now because it's time for them to turn back to you perhaps it's for the first time or perhaps for someone here it's to turn their heart back to you again and because of your grace and because of your mercy that door of opportunity is wide open right now. And so as you have your head bowed and Christians who are in the room, if you would pray, if you're here this morning, that's you and you feel that you need to make a decision to turn your heart to Jesus, that you need to turn back, maybe for the first time, you're turning your heart to him or maybe it's something that you need to do again today. If that's you today, would you just lift your hand and say, that's me and I'd love to pray for you this morning if that's you. If you're here and you want to turn your heart back to Jesus again today yes is there anyone else yeah is there anyone else that God's calling you just to turn your heart to him today thank you so God you know those who are here in this room you know those who are listening today I pray God that you continue to do I work in in our hearts to draw us near to you and uh, you're calling us God and you've provided a way God for us to know you to be forgiven of our past of our sin our shame you're calling us into new life and I pray today hearts would turn back to you that people would see your power and know you for who you are and God today people would make a decision to trust you in Jesus name Thanks for listening. If you're interested in learning more about our church community, please visit our website, Bethesda.ca, and consider joining us for a gathering soon.